Welcome to Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett. It's me, Lou Barrett. We have a great show for you today, as always. As always. You know, I really, I'm proud of the show. I'm glad that I'm working at it again consistently. And you know something that you could do, dear listener, to help? is to rate and review the podcast. That goes a long way, so I would really appreciate it if you could do that. Today on the show, we are talking about Pam and Tommy, the show on Hulu. You may have seen it. You may have heard of it about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee and the infamous sex tape that was stolen from them and released. You may be thinking... Why are you talking about Pam and Tommy on a queer show? And we'll talk about that. Um, But really, I wanted to talk about it. I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was interesting. And I thought there was some cool discourse to be had. So it is on the show. Our guest today is Jason Hoff. He's a writer based in New York. And his first debut book is coming out this year. It's titled Harsh Cravings. So keep on the lookout for that. It sounds really interesting and I'm excited to read it. Jason and I met on Instagram and have been like Instagram DM buddies for about a year. (laughs) And so I was so excited to have him on the show and connect voice to voice, face to face over a screen And the conversation was great. Um, I'm excited to have him on here again when his book comes out. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this episode. The show's sound editor, Cole Pizzoli, who I love dearly, always gives me some notes about how long the introduction is. So today, for Cole, I am keeping the intro short. There is a bit of reflecting and a bit of something that I would like to share with you, and that I'm going to do in the outro. So if after the show you want to stick around and listen to my voice a little more, you can do so then. Okay, without further ado, enjoy the show. First, I'd love for you to start by saying, you know, who you are and like a little about yourself. Yeah. Um, My name is Jason Hoff. I'm a writer who lives in Brooklyn. Uh, I write mainly, uh, I would say, sort of like short story vignette, uh, nonfiction, um, coming out with my debut novel, uh, Late Spring, uh, Early Summer. It's from Polari Press. And it's basically a 90-day diary uh, between August to November of 2020. So I am excited for that. It's called Harsh Cravings. Harsh Cravings. That's a good title. Yeah. yeah it's nice. it sort of it's kind of sounds like an album title yeah. <laughs> a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. So part of what is funny about us doing a Pam and Tommy uh podcast well Mm -hmm. is that this is a podcast called queer discourse podcast Mm -hmm. and i was watching pam and tommy and i was like i like really want to talk about this on the podcast Mm -hmm. and i was like how do i make it like make sense to talk about on the podcast 
And I was like, do I care if it makes sense? You know, but mm-hmm. to me, like Pam and Tommy, like sort of feel like a femme butch relationship. Like that's mm-hmm. one thing I could go with, you know? But like, yeah. part of it is just that, I mean, especially with Pam's storyline, or there's like so much to talk about, I guess, gender wise, but also just Pam's storyline. I was thinking about it. I was like pulling quotes like an hour ago, getting re- like for this from the show. And I was like, I don't know. I think these different stories of like, I just think it's who cares if she's not gay. I don't know. Like it's mm-hmm. still interesting and it's still, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was sort of thinking the same thing, yeah. um, <laughs> but to me, the show, I, I think the first two to th- two to three episodes were sort of one thing. I They were satire, really. Mm-hmm. Um, when I thought of like stuff we could talk about, there it was almost satirical in the way that just how their genitals were treated. I mean, it was like <laughs> it was this it was hyper sexualized. It was hyper um I thought it was hyper straight to the point that it was almost making fun of it. And I also, I almost, I saw a bit of queerness in that. It, it's mm-hmm. almost making a joke out of mm-hmm. it. That was the first two episodes. And then really once it, it went deeper into the legal stuff, which I didn't know, I just, I didn't know the specifics of what happened with that tape and with her and just how unjust it was. Mm-hmm. Then I felt it sort of became a different show and it, it got very serious and yeah. especially when it revolved around her and yeah. w- what that was to be um, <laughs> really what felt like a woman with no rights in right, right. what was the nineties. Right. Yeah. In the first, and the first episode, she's barely in it. She's in it for like mm-hmm. like ten seconds or something. Mm-hmm. It's like when the when Seth Rogen's like at the house and I think it's like he like goes in the room and then she's there and then she starts screaming or she like comes out for a second with him. And I was like, it's called Pam and Tommy. Like when when's Pam mm-hmm. gonna be in it more, you know? And then it was the second mm-hmm. episode, but yeah, one of the things I'm sort of jumping ahead, but I thought it was so Seth Rogen's character. It was so interesting to me that he, like, doesn't get that he violated her privacy mm-hmm. until, like, the very end, mm-hmm. you know? Which I thought really spoke to... I mean, I think that makes sense for the time. And also, there's mm-hmm. probably, like, men now that would be that way. But I think it's, like... I think it's definitely different now. But it was interesting that I'm, like, wow, this is, like, right in front of your face. But you, like, mm-hmm. really can't connect the dots Mm -hmm. you know yeah because i don't think he really thought of her as like a full being right right um what i thought was interesting with his character and i'm sure i mean it's it was an entertaining show i I, i'm sure there's plenty that was fictionalized um i don't i don't think that the makers of it would say that there wasn't I, specifically the Seth Rogen character. I don't know if he was actually this sort of, I don't know, uh, spiritual man at the same time. He might have been. Like, he could have been. I don't know. But it's in some areas, he he was aware of what he was doing. And then, you're right, when it did come to 
the Pamela character, he really did not, he didn't consider any of it. Right. And it, right. it just went right past him. Um, which to be honest, I think going back to the nineties, uh, I, I think a lot of people were doing that. I, I right. think it, a lot of people were not thinking this is a person's honeymoon tape um, mm-hmm. that is being shown across the world. Right. I, I don't think it was thought of in terms like that, which is right. sad, but it, it's what it was. Right. Well, and, and part of what was interesting was like the, yeah, you said this earlier, like the pre-internet thing and how it was like it had been out for three weeks or a month and still people didn't know, you know, which would never mm-hmm. happen now. Mm-hmm. But then it was like being sold like across the country and like to Canada and still Pam, Pam and Tommy didn't even know. Like that was mm-hmm. part of it. That was part of like, as far as it being a show, you know, part of what made it so like you're on the edge of your seat. Cause you're like, Oh my God, like when are they going to find out? Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think back, <laughs> let's see, that happened in 1996. So I was 13. We had just gotten the internet. And I remember in the mail would come it was like AOL 2.0 like a, a disc mm-hmm. or like a CD-ROM you would put that in you would have to wait for the dial up um and then I remember I would leave the room and come back like 15 minutes later for a web page to load so everything was foreign and mm-hmm. the concept that you could log on and see that tape was not um, I mean, that was a new concept. So yeah. I, yeah, I could see how they were, they were blind to it. Right. Right. Um, well, and it's like, mm-hmm. just like that the news traveled so much more slowly. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, people are getting the tape and then going to Twitter or going to whatever. Right. And then it was mm-hmm. like that whole thing with the journalist where she kept wanting to get a story published about it. And he was like, this isn't news. This isn't news. Mm-hmm. And then they were Meanwhile, trying to get it on now, Jay Leno. Yeah. They're like, this isn't new, you know, no, mm-hmm. whatever. Like there was a, so it was like interesting that part too, that it was like, mm-hmm. just took so long. Like the way things took off, just, it was so much slower. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with what you're saying earlier that they were like, they were like such characters, like the second episode where they like meet for the first time and he goes up to her and just licks her face. Mm-hmm. Which I, sure, <laughs> I could see that. Um, yeah, I mean, I did think that they actually treated their relationship pretty, I thought it was sweet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I mean, in the end, it, it got out of control. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the scene that I was like, I mean, I, I don't obviously know them or anything, but... The scene that caught my eye was after they had basically gotten fucked up and then married and it was this whirlwind thing when they were back at um, his house and they were watching, was it The King and I or something? Mm -hmm. And they were just in bed and it felt like two people who were just starting to date who Mm -hmm. like didn't know each other that much. And she was sharing with him for the first time, like, oh, I love this movie. Mm -hmm. Um and he was like being goofy around her for the first time. And it, it was, I thought how they portrayed them was involving for the viewer. Yeah. You said what for the viewer? Involving. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was, 
they did this like interesting job where it was it was satire it was black comedy but it it sort of felt realish at the same time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it did i mean it when they said like at the end when they do like the you know the the writing of like this is what happened and they talk about how they both said they were the love they were each other's love of their lives or whatever um, but it was like really clear that they had such a special connection. I also thought it was interesting that Tommy was like such a loose cannon and like just such a punk, but it was like in the relationship with Pamela, except near the end, it was like the only place mm-hmm. he wasn't like that. Like mm-hmm. he was so like connected and present and which mm-hmm. sometimes it's like the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. And I really liked the scene with him and Seth Rogen where they meet and he burns the money and he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you hate me, but what about her? What did she do to deserve this? Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting because Seth still doesn't get it then. But so there's like this, uh, aware, he has this like awareness that he's like kind of a dick, mm-hmm. but it's like Pamela, that relationship is like the one place yeah. where he's like trying to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he had an awareness that he was kind of a dick because I think everyone was mad at him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I thought was interesting is like how they played the roles. I thought that Lily James was amazing. She I was thought incredible. She, it's incredible. Her, her voice and like the expressions and... um. There was a real likeness there. Uh, and who was the play Tommy? Uh, what is his name? I just forgot. Oh, Sebastian Stan. Uh, I thought it was an entertaining role. I, I think the physicality of it was, it seemed like a lot because he was always jumping all over the place. <laughs> like he was jumping over couches. He was like, he was just always hopping and jumping all over. Mm-hmm. Um, I did feel like, it was borderline cartoonish at parts. I was yeah. okay with it. But I think Lily James really, I mean, captured someone who I, I felt stressed for her watching it. Oh my God. I mean, the episode when, which I've like wanted to f- try to find both with the Jay Leno one and then the, um, the deposition. Yeah. I've wanted to yeah. try to find the actual tapes of that, but that was one episode where my stomach was just like, I just was like nauseous almost the whole episode. It was just like so uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. and so disgust, like so terrible. It was tough. Yeah. I, it was extremely uncomfortable. Um, I, I also think it was the best episode of oh, really? the series. Yeah. Uh, I just thought, just filmmaking wise, I mm-hmm. I did like how they cut the scenes between like her deposition and her sort of comeuppance, like being discovered at the football game to mm-hmm. the Playboy Mansion to the relationship with her mom. I thought they just cut that together very well because um, mm-hmm. it was a standalone. It felt like it felt like a standalone episode. Yeah, where totally. It was, it was just dedicated to her right 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 well in that episode it had one of my favorite scenes which is the Hugh Hefner scene Mm -hmm. and I like wrote down what he said because he says people will pay you to be the Pamela they want 
the tabloids, the studios, even me, but that dollar figure will never represent your worth. Don't forget, separate your price from your worth. You do that. You can be any version of Pam you need to be and remember who you are. And she says, Mm -hmm. women have been doing that for centuries. Playing parts is nothing new. But I really Mm -hmm. loved it because the show seemed to paint Hugh in like a pretty positive light um, or at least like neutral. Um, But it was like they said the thing during the deposition, like, would you do it again? Or she just like volunteers, like I would totally do it again. Um, Like, uh, you know, do a Playboy shoot. And it seemed like part of it was like it was showing like he treated her like an actual person. Like he like leveled Mm -hmm. with her. In a way mm-hmm. that, like, the other men on the show didn't, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, he himself is a layered one, I feel. I mean, I've read things that were problematic, mm-hmm. but sort of about him. Um, but then he also... I mean, just from, like, what I've read, I kind of was respectful uh, Mm, to mm -hmm. these women and models in a way that uh, other men were not at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like I've seen interviews with Pamela Anderson where she did refer to him as a father figure. Mm -hmm. I think for the, for this show, I think that's what it maybe tried to highlight. I think it tried to highlight her, her version of him, but I'm sure he has, he has multiple versions as well. And I'm sure he's, different things to different people. But yeah, I think to her, it, it he seemed like a positive figure. Right. I remember when he died. I mean, I, it's like interesting. Well, I was think I think about this because you had that, you had that thing talking about hating queer infographics, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> which we have to talk about because so do I, but I, I think about like the internet, it's all curated based on your own interests or whoever you follow mm-hmm. or whatever. And, like, when Hugh died, I was only seeing negative things. And, like, it's one of those things where I just don't really care. So I've never really done my own, you know, like, Mm -hmm. research. Right? I haven't learned that much about Hugh Hefner's history. But I just felt like at least the way they framed him in the show, it was, like, he was almost, like, one of the best men in the show, even though he was only in one scene. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's an opinion. But just the way they – and Seth Rogen was, like, sort of except that he wasn't. You know what I mean? He was like mm-hmm. one of those people who was like felt like he was a really good person, but there were still parts of him that, well, I mean, that's how it is with everyone. We're not good or bad completely, but mm-hmm. he was like into more in denial of some of the ways that he caused issues in his life. I felt like logically the Seth Rogen character was one of the brightest people. Yeah. It's just totally. that his, his, it's like he was so divorced from his actions mm-hmm. that his actions kept um, sort of hitting him in the ass. Like they just kept coming back yeah. to bite him yeah. all the time. And that was his sort of lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it really is about what you do and what's going to come back to you. So yeah. his whole thing was with karma. Right, right. I mean, that was that was expressed from the first episode. And yet throughout the whole show, his karma was fighting him. And I feel like until it, it took him the duration of the show to realize that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And like the more I'm like thinking about this, the more I feel like in general, the show, I think 
had like a lot of like totally different male characters, which was cool. Like I feel like they mm-hmm. showed um like I think they showed like duality. Like I really thought about this with Tommy's character. I felt like they humanized him a lot because you were mm-hmm. seeing that he was like this loose cannon and he was like sort of like I mean when him and Pam first met, it felt like he was just like, like it or not, I'm going to be your boyfriend. Like mm-hmm. he just did not respect personal space at all, you know? And like, <laughs> but then like over time, the more you're seeing him, you're seeing like this, like softy who just like really fucking loves her, mm-hmm. you know? And there's that episode where he like makes her the whole dinner. And I love the way he was like supportive in her career when she like did the, was so excited about the monologue and then they mm-hmm. were like, sorry, you're not doing it. And he's like, no, you need to do, you need to do this, like blah, blah, blah. And like that, you know, that spousal support that he was like in her corner. And and then like when she wasn't around, you were seeing this other, you know, these other parts of him. But like the whole time I was watching it, there were definitely times where he like did things that annoyed me. But I wasn't like this asshole, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think the first episode, it felt like he was an asshole, but that's also because it was from the Seth Rogen character's point of view, who Mm -hmm. he, you know, basically fucked over and and didn't pay. So I think as the show moved on and then you saw him from Pamela's view, uh, that's when the character really softened. Mm Mm-hmm. What's wild, I mean, I just, I thought of this because I, I saw that Pamela Anderson is going to come out with her own documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that too. Yeah, it's, I think what's wild, I mean, from her point of view or her shoes, this happened to her in the 90s mm-hmm. and it overtook everything. It overtook her her career, it really sidelined her career. And yet somehow, like, even now, so we're doing a podcast about it in 2022. <laughs> I mean, it really, like, it's like it doesn't leave her in a mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would understand her frustrations and her her need to maybe put the story from her point of view. I do think, I think that the show is very... Um, sensitive towards her oh yeah i I I agree i think this show painted her in such a wonderful light Mm -hmm. um and yet i understand why she wouldn't want to watch it because it's still entertainment that's profiting off of a painful time in her life yeah um it's just such a double-edged sword because but now she is going to have a documentary which at large is response to the show it, it's totally, just like right. it, it all sort of goes together in a way yeah i yeah. saw that she she's gonna play roxy hart on broadway as well and it's oh. like would that have happened if it wasn't <laughs> for all of this so yeah. yeah it's uh i mean she kind of is the perfect person to play that character mm-hmm. i think just because it's all about uh fame and the media and playing mm-hmm. off of it so i think it would make sense for her to do that um it's funny i just going into like the characterization of her Mm -hmm. growing up whenever i would see her in interviews i never i never thought of her as a dumb blonde i know Mm -hmm. that she cut she her mannerisms which are hers and maybe she plays into it but 
yeah, she has this Marilyn Monroe-esque quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always saw her as like, I always remember her activism and with PETA and she seemed um, like a motivated, intelligent person. Uh, but that was also coupled with this sort of Marilyn Monroe dumb blonde persona. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess I just was never, I never looked at her and thought like, this is a dumb person. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And maybe, maybe I just don't really, I don't connect how people present and their expressions as to who they are and how their mind works, I guess. Whereas I think she as a woman always had to deal with that right 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 so when i think sorry they, i went off on a bit of a no 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 but. no no i think they yeah i thought they presented her so well she had so many good monologues in the show and for me it it did feel like she was incredibly intelligent and really aware of what was going on all the time you know like mm-hmm. in the sense like like it did seem I mean, she's a character, so of course she's playing into it. But there did seem to be this sense that she was, like, playing into a little bit of, like, the bubbly blonde. And there were different times Mm -hmm. where it was, like, showing the way she sort of, like, used that to work for her. Like, it's, like, Mm -hmm. when Tommy comes to wherever she's, what the hotel she's staying in, she's at the table with the guys and having this, like, superficial conversation. And they're, like, it's like she's not there, but she's just, like, Mm -hmm. a prop, kind of. And she's mm-hmm. just, like, adding little bits, you know, where, like, when she's, like, on the Baywatch set and she, like, can gets them to, like, let her do the monologue. And it's, like, the way she delivers it. You know, it's so, like, playing the game of, like, mm-hmm. you know, doing what they need me to do, but then also figuring out the ways that I could kind of push past this. And, and I love the relationship she had with the producer, whoever that woman was. And, like, that's, like, one of mm. her earlier like I think one of the earlier monologues that I was like oh my god I'm like so obsessed where she talks about how Jane Fonda's career is one that she would want to model after because Mm -hmm. like she was able to be sexy and smart like as she was able Mm -hmm. to be all of these different things and was just like fuck you if you have a problem with it this is who I am Mm -hmm. she's like and I want to be like that and it was like showing that she was having these having these moments of feeling like she was this one thing or seen as this one thing. And then it's like this tape comes out mm-hmm. and then, it and kind then of she like was only, only one it. thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, what's kind of interesting is that she sort of did follow in Jane Fonda's footsteps. They're obviously the quality of their roles was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane Fonda also comes from like a Hollywood legacy. So it's, that's a little different as well, but I mean, they did sort of start out as whether it was like Baywatch or Barbarella, these sort of ultra feminine, um, almost out of this world uh, characters. And Pamela Anderson was a, an animal rights activist, like at the same time. So mm-hmm. I don't know when I saw that part, I was, I kind of wanted to like hug her a little bit. <laughs> I yeah. was like, you did fall. Like you, yeah. you actually did follow in her footsteps it was just the levels of their careers were so different mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I also, I mean, there was like the clothing in the show is really cool. Like, I think they show the ways that she embodied so much power in the way that she knew she like was this kind of star walking into every room she was in. Mm-hmm. But then it was like this battle between, which I think is like such a, I mean, it's something I've experienced in my life, not in the same way B.L.A. Anderson has, but like this wanting this, like being hot or sexy or dressing this way that like gives some power, but then also at the same time, it's what other people use to put you beneath them. Mm -hmm. So it's like this kind of like lifelong, I actually wrote an essay about this that was like sort Mm -hmm. of about the ideas of like ways that women sometimes have more power than we feel like our sexuality and those things give so much power. But at the same time, it's that sexuality that can often be used as, I don't know, what is what people oppress people for or. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was like she's she knew she had power when she was like walking into different rooms and on sets and and that her sex appeal and the way she looked gave her power. But then also it was the same reason that she was like a laughing stock and was shamed and these things. I think what in the show how it was portrayed, I think what Hugh Hefner did for her, as in I, I did kind of want this to be addressed. Yeah, she was Blonde Bombshell. Mm-hmm. She was also, I thought, very specific to like a 90s Blonde Bombshell. Um, mm-hmm. She was very much in that decade. But I think when Hugh Hefner met her, what he said, I felt like what he said to her was, it's not just like, you're not just like beautiful. You actually have a star quality and that is mm-hmm. what is going to make you famous. And I think mm-hmm. that's why he sort of singled her out outside of, maybe other models and gave her as much as he did at the jump because he felt that she had and whatever that is, it's debatable what star quality is. It's debatable what an it factor is. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. I think that is, I think that goes beyond looks. I I, I don't know what that is. It's some sort of chemistry or charisma. Mm -hmm. I think that coupled with her look is what, shot her to as much fame as it as it did yeah 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 that makes sense I I like didn't have that the only awareness I had of Pamela Anderson was pretty much like because my birth name is Pamela Mm. and I had like double d's before I graduated high school and sometimes Mm -hmm. it was like oh you're like Pamela Anderson um and it was like a joke (laughs) so ridiculous yeah (laughs) Uh, but that was like it, you know, mm-hmm. like I just knew that she was a famous blonde woman with huge boobs. That was kind of like the extent to what I knew about her. But I knew. So this is what I knew about her. Mm-hmm. I remember. I mean, I was a kid when Baywatch was on TV. I remember like seeing her posters. Her posters were everywhere. Um, I remember. I remember barbed wire coming out. I remember seeing her like at the premiere. I remember when barbed wire bombed. Mm -hmm. I remember that was like, it was just like a huge bomb. Um, What else? Trying to like go back in time a little bit. She just was 
honestly this is sort of what i remember i spent a lot of time at the beach when i was a little kid uh my i have my siblings are all older than me they were teenagers when i was born um so i spent a lot of time with um honestly like 20 year old girls at the beach because my sister would just take me with her everywhere Mm -hmm. i was like seven or eight at the time and i feel like that's how i knew how much of how pamela anderson uh sort of like who she was Mm -hmm. she was always the reference to a modern blonde bombshell Mm. in a lot of ways even though again her career was not i mean like film wise it was not as huge as like a marilyn monroe who i also think could have done a lot more had she been given the opportunity but she was the 90s version of Marilyn Monroe I, she was mm-hmm. very specific to the 90s but she was visually the reference to what every straight man wanted mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean uh, yeah I, she was always I remember my sister would reference her all the time mm-hmm. I actually when I was so when I was watching the show I mean she actually reminded me of my sister in oh really the 90s oh yeah um in <laughs> the 90s a bit my, my sister she's like uh very blonde hair the eyebrows are similar um very tan would always be at the beach from florida i know pam anderson isn't from florida but um but has like a very feminine um energy way of presenting um and her and her friends resembled Pam Anderson. Like she was, I just remember Pam Anderson sort of being everywhere mm-hmm. at that time. But then I also remember her like failures and how big they were in the news and how she was sort of a joke or mm-hmm. became a joke. Yeah. I mean, is that what, why she sort of faded into cultural relevance? Faded from cultural re- yeah, relevance? Yeah. 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 That's yeah, um, I also think that a lot changed going into, like, the millennium. Mm-hmm. I think Baywatch was such a 90s thing. So there's, just FYI, there's a, a Baywatch channel that comes with uh, Samsung TVs. And <laughs> um, wow. My husband watches it all the time. Oh it's my god, actually, that's funny. It's a it's a very like peaceful show to watch because mm-hmm. they just do these long montages of like music, uh, like these '90s music videos, and like the lighting is so uh, blurred in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It actually is sort of a peaceful show to watch, but oh, I just like now I'm thinking about like Samsung TVs and Baywatch. <laughs> um oh her her relevance um i feel like going into the 2000s everything started really catering to teens and like Mm -hmm. a younger Mm -hmm. i feel like in the 90s it 20s were like very catered to whether it was alternative like alternative rock what was going on with mtv during that time the start of reality tv like with real world um, and then I think once we hit around like 2000, every, the demographic, this is my memory really mm-hmm. became 
what was popular between 15 to 20. So mm-hmm. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but somehow <laughs> I'm going to link it all. I think, so you go from a Pam Anderson and what is thought of as a quintessential uh, straight male fantasy. Mm-hmm. It went from Pam Anderson, 2000 hit, it went to Britney Spears, mm-hmm. which you could really, you could compare the two, mm-hmm. but it's sort of, it I feel like it went from blonde bombshell to Lolita type of mm-hmm. um, impersonation or d- d- desire. Right. So yeah, I, I think yeah. I think there was a whole other cultural shift, and she just was not in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, she was. I mean which is unfortunate, but she was an aging beauty mm-hmm. at that point. So, you know, Hollywood and the public right. isn't nice. They're not uh, right. nice about that at all. Right, right. I'm really excited to see her documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, something I thought about that we could talk about that's, a, you know, put a queer perspective mm-hmm. on it <laughs> was one of the scenes where they find out that um, they favored in penthouse, favored in penthouse's favor, mm-hmm. and the lawyer is explaining it to Pam and Tommy, and then she has another great monologue, <laughs> and mm-hmm. she says, um, "She's like, he's like, I don't get it." And she's like, "I do. They have to say something. They can't. They just can't say like the actual reason." He said, "Which mm-hmm. is," and she says that I don't have any rights because I have spent my public life in a bathing suit, because I have mm-hmm. the nerve to pose for Playboy. They can't actually say that sluts, and that's what this ruling is saying I am, in case you're unclear. They can't actually say sluts don't get to decide what happens to pictures of their body, that I don't get to decide what happens to my actual body, so they say something else instead. And mm-hmm. then he says, I understand your position, and it like goes close on her, and she says, you will never understand my position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was so good. But something I thought about thought about when I was like writing down some of these lines was we're very I mean this is a we're in a very identity focused time. People are like me very identity obsessed. It can be mm-hmm. I'm I don't know, I have my own opinions there. But mm-hmm. this like you will never understand my position totally makes sense, true. But I started thinking about how that feels really relevant to the time we're in where it's very like, unless you have these identities, you have no idea. Like you can never empathize. You can't get it. Like, and only if you have said identity, can you speak on whatever relevant thing is? Um, I don't know. So it's not really related to the show, but I think that's No, I can see the relation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, it's not surprising that that was like a line in the show. Like, and that was like part of it, you know. Yeah, because I mean, the, the show still in. is was made today. Yeah, yeah. So the today's themes are still going to pop up. Um, hmm. I mean, in terms of identity, it's in the in her case, it was in the case of a a cis male who kept trying to. She couldn't get her own space, I felt. Mm -hmm. Like she, everyone kept trying to come into her space Mm -hmm. um, and sort of speak for her, I guess. Um, 
And maybe that is part of the reason why there is such a strictness now involving identity and why I do think there could be a defensiveness about someone else trying to speak for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's not too long ago, there was always someone speaking for you. Right, uh, right. No matter what the identity. So I understand the fight and the defensiveness in that. Um, I think it's very... I think identities are clung to very tightly right now. Um, I wonder, whereas it, it it's sort of like, it's, it, it's almost a little counterintuitive because in one way it's like, I feel like identities are clung to, I mean, like with a, like a bloody grip, mm-hmm, <laughs> it's, um, mm-hmm. but then on the other end, it's sort of like, but I don't believe in labels. Yeah. You are right. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's like a, it's it's a contrast and it's a little contradictory it's mm-hmm. like but i think that's very much the time that we're in right now i wonder i think about this quite a bit i wonder what five years from now is going to be like and what it's going to look like and if there's going to be such a clutch on mm-hmm. the identity uh label I think people are going to get tired. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like it's can only go so far. The contradiction I think about is that we're really focused on saying like X is not a monolith. This is not a monolith. I'm not a monolith. But then there's also the, at the same time, this hyper fixation on how people with X identity or like this have had this experience look at the world this way, you know, this is what they want from you. This is what they don't. But then it's like, okay, well, if they're not monolithic, then Mm -hmm. they're all individuals. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of this, I mean, like with, with trans people, it's like, there's like a specific way of this specific idea of what trans people like and don't like politically or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then the ones who like, don't follow what the current standard is, then have internalized transphobia. Mm -hmm. It's like, or are they just different, right? Or they have, you know, so I think that's like the contradiction is like, there's, there's this, we're saying that we're all individuals and we're saying like, yeah, don't put assumption on us because of this identity. But then also because I have this identity, I'm X, Y, and Z and I've lived this kind of life. Mm Mm-hmm. I think what I look for, I just want to hear the individual's voice. I yeah. think we we had mentioned my uh, disdain a little bit for <laughs> like queer infographics, uh-huh. um, which I do think uh, maybe the purpose is to educate, although I wonder, educate who? Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like a lot of those graphics have this like huge umbrella where I'm not hearing from the individual and what they think. I, mm-hmm. I just, what I don't love about the time that we're in right now, mm-hmm. and I know that this is a social media thing, I don't need to see the same infographic 
mm-hmm. from 20 something people. <sighs> that's automated. It, it, it actually mm-hmm. feels like less individual. It, mm-hmm. it feels less individual, less opinionated, less, um, I would rather just hear the voice of the individual, mm-hmm. no matter who that individual is. Yeah. Um, and also I think involving like a queer infographic and now mm-hmm. I think there is a fear and I do think that it runs a little more. Um, it, I think it's kind of common in a broad queer community, a feeling left out Mm-hmm. of um well I, I know this too or mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm gonna show you how much i know mm-hmm. instead instead of saying to someone um tell me what you know tell me yeah. about like yourself mm-hmm. and your experience and i think it's um Honestly, I, I feel like it's a it's a fear of exclusion from a queer community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think so. I think there's a fear of being wrong or being bad, and so then it's like one way to like save yourself from being wrong or bad is to show that you, yeah, know what's going on and are up to date or whatever, mm-hmm. or like have have the right of political opinion. But I like, I was thinking about, I saw a comedian the other day who like posted a reel about the don't say gay stuff. And I was like thinking mm-hmm. about it. And I've thought about it. Cause what you just said, like the, who is this for? Or like not knowing who it's for. And I was, I was like, what is this actually doing? Cause like all the people who are probably watching this are just like people who agree with this person. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm like, I don't really think them doing this is like, gonna help the fight against this it's yeah i think we're just thing- like promoting their brand mm-hmm. yeah i think that's uh i think that is a whole brand of yeah. I, I guess it's a queer educational influencers i mm-hmm. i don't really know um <laughs> i think what could help uh the only thing that really helps and i think that we sort of i learned this at least with uh when Black Lives Matter really, when the movement exploded in 2020 mm-hmm. after George Floyd was murdered, um, it's just call to action. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actual action that is needed. So mm-hmm. if I see that posted, if I see someone giving um, options of like, hey, this is what you could do to help this cause, mm-hmm. I think that's great. Like, I that's... That's, I think, some of the knowledge that is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the the queer influencer, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, he calls them the news gays. <laughs> um, that's its own brand as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think it's. I'm not sure what it is, mm-hmm. um, but it, it doesn't seem like the most forward thing mm-hmm. that you could be doing. Yeah. 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 And I sometimes, I used to think about this like a few years ago. I feel like sometimes I, when I see the stuff that's talked about the most in like queer 
subcultures online or like that feel sort of mainstream, it feels like it's being marketed to people who like came out yesterday. Like it always feels like it's like for like the newest gays ever, but then it's like something we're all sharing. And then I've thought about like how it's like almost like if they want to like, like then it becomes like some of us who are like have been out for a decade or more are having these conversations we were probably having when we were like teenagers or whatever. Like where there's Mm -hmm. some stuff like where I'm like, this isn't like really relevant to me anymore. Like I think there's such like an obsession with my identity is valid. Like I'm valid. I'm valid. And I mean, I've identified it so many different things at this point, but I first Mm -hmm. came out 15 years ago and I'm like, I've Mm -hmm. been queer for like 15 years. Like I don't, I don't need to be validated. I feel comfortable. Like I feel okay. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's like a part of the identity stuff. It's like, and I wonder, and then I see people my age or just people in general who probably like vary in how long they've been out. And I sometimes am like, guys, like, why are we still talking about this? Like, why are mm-hmm. you still worried about this? Like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking about like queerness and Pam and Tommy. Oh, yeah. And if there is a, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to like somehow loop it back yeah. to her a little bit. I mean, what I did think about now, I mean, here's something. I mean, this tape, her tape, which went all over the place. Do you know how common it is now to see people having sex on the internet? I mean, there is, it's, um, I mean, in, in some ways, it, in a lot of ways, it's people's living. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of times it's, they're sort of like, voyeuristic fetish or something but there's mm-hmm. not there's almost no shock factor anymore mm-hmm. so um i wondered if that were to happen if this were to happen to her today if it would be anything right that's true that's true mm-hmm. isn't it i don't i don't really pay attention i guess i don't pay enough attention but it seems like when there's a sex tape that comes out by someone people still talk about it it's probably just not on the same lo- like it doesn't have as big of an effect but i don't i don't know that it's like nothing happens right you know true true or like i feel like it's maybe easier for people to leverage it in their favor Mm -hmm. like even if they're women than it was for her at that time Mm -hmm. yeah because well like now there's more of an understanding of sexism and stuff so then it's like if something like that happens, it can become, you know, I was wronged mm-hmm. or this was used without my permission. Whereas like that wasn't really an angle Pam got to take. Mm-hmm. I was really interested in at the end when uh, they sold, they basically sold the rights or whatnot. Right. I had no idea. I thought that mm-hmm. was actually really interesting. And like, yeah. I understood her reasoning for wanting to do it because it would keep it so much more contained. And right. she was just sort of like, fuck it, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a really interesting part of the show. Yeah, I wondered how much of it was like, uh, how much of that was what happened. Like, I figured some of those legal things were probably pretty accurate to what happened, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And I haven't looked. It seemed like it was maybe like the best it was going to get was to sell the rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about it 
That is really wild. <laughs> I mean, it's really wild that what started as it, I mean, it's quote unquote called a sex tape, but it was newlyweds with a camera. Yeah. Like it was, it was, a, uh, it was a honeymoon. Mm-hmm. How that went so far that then they had to sell the rights to their video to someone. Right. I right. mean, that's that was really stolen. wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like crazy making when I feel like you're seeing how you're seeing how it's weighing on both of them throughout it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also thought it was interesting that Tommy does doesn't seem to get the way it's affecting her differently, or at least he's not Mm -hmm. vocalizing that he gets it. And then it's interesting. The one point when his one of his band members is like, dude, it's sort of like, you know, everyone's just saying you're like, have a huge dong. It's like, could it be that bad? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he like starts leaning into it or whatever. But I I also thought that was interesting because they sort of painted it like she was in all of this alone. Like it was like mm-hmm. felt at least for me watching it, some of it felt like this sort of Twilight Zone feeling where she's like trying to explain this to people or tell people, and they're just like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I'm on I mean, tape too. Yeah, <laughs> I think to sort of go back to what we were talking about before, like. Now, in 2022, it's like, it it feels important, but it just is what it is, where I think people put themselves in the shoes of others now, because mm-hmm. one, yeah, that's sort of what you should be doing, but mm-hmm. it's just become so much more common, I think. Honestly, I, I do think that like 2020 the combination of like 2020 pandemic George Floyd's murder. I think all of that happening at the same time did have mm-hmm. um, something, mm-hmm. a little something to do with that. I think back to the nineties. I mean, let's see. I was 16, 17 by the time, you know, 2000 hit, but I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't remember, um, as far as like a gay person, I don't remember. I I remember obviously before I was like out because I, I was like, what's going on here with me? <laughs> I wasn't putting myself, even though I was gay, I wasn't putting myself in the shoes of uh, another gay man. Mm. Man, I mm. I mean, again, I was young, but you know. I think back to like a lot of the news coverage during that time. That's when, you know, AIDS was the sort of pandemic. And I don't, I don't remember having discussions of this, like in my household or, mm-hmm. or I think people did live in their own bubble a lot more and not everyone. Mm-hmm. I also grew up in suburbia. So it's, you know, th- that is it's in itself, it's own bubble. But I think part of why like Pam and Tommy is being released now, it is because the viewer, I think can put themselves in her shoes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I don't think let's put it this way. If they're going to make, if they were going to make a movie out of this mm-hmm. in the nineties or like, let's say a couple years after it happened, the total shift would be completely totally. different. So I do think that the tone of it is very now, which is yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it took about 30 years to get yeah. there. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I agree. And to what she said, like the, you'll never understand my position in that. She was right. I mean, with the people she was talking to, like, they won't understand. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think about how, I mean, what she was saying and I mean, she was already trying to explain it and people didn't get it. Um, and I think about now with, with whatever it is, like, I do think it's important to, I don't know, like, I think I like to believe people can get and understand an oppression someone else's experiences without experiencing it themselves. Doesn't mean they're Mm going to know exactly what that feels like, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think about like, especially with a lot of man, women, men, women stuff. Like I follow this like relationship expert and who's straight and she like talks about different ways. I don't know the different pressures that men have and the ways that we want them to be vulnerable now and whatever, blah, blah, blah. The point I'm getting to is like these conversations about how men are trash and there's like these ideas that like men can't just can't understand like a human experience and mm-hmm. I think this like happens in a like a lot of a lot of conversations about oppression, regardless of the oppression it is. It's like mm-hmm. this idea that the person who doesn't experience just like doesn't have like the mental capacity to like ever understand like understand it, which I think is like absurd, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I don't think it like helps help you know if we just believe that like someone's never gonna get it. Like I want to think now if I'm like talking to a guy who's like important to me or something. And I explained some experience that he could have some semblance of like, wow. Yeah. That sounds terrible. Instead of Mm -hmm. like, what? (laughs) I would hope that anyone, anyone who watches this show, like let's say a straight male was watching it. Yeah. uh, Especially let's say an older straight male um, Mm -hmm. or someone who really remembers the, that time of when that tape happened i hope that anyone watching it would really feel empathetic sympathetic and uncomfortable when she was forced to watch herself have sex on film in a room full of people Mm -hmm. um i I would hope that anyone would feel for her right and also like get angry too that that someone even had to go through that yeah and when they're saying, when he's like, and can you, can you confirm who's in the tape or whatever? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, it was just like, he was like rubbing it, you know, rubbing oh, it in. It yeah. was just so, yeah, it was so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. But. Yeah, I I just like came across it when I was on Hulu. It was like the first week, the first episode was out. Maybe there were two out when I started watching it. And then I was like, oh mm-hmm. my God, I'm obsessed. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even really talk about this, but I loved how much the internet was like such a character in the show. Like I I loved how that was such a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. And when Seth Rogen- There's a lot of- Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go on. I just was saying when Seth Rogen is first like- I forget the guy's name, the the porn the porn guy, and he's like, "Well, have you heard of the World Wide Web? Mm-hmm. Like, we could put it on the World Wide Web." And they're he's like, "What? Mm-hmm. What's that?" And they're like trying to explain it and talk about it together, and it was just like so funny. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was honestly just nostalgic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was um, 
I remember when things were called the World Wide Web. Yeah. Uh, even the, a lot of the costuming I thought mm-hmm. was very spot on. I thought Seth Rogen, uh, I mean, he actually, <laughs> he looked exactly like um, my sister's husband at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. like the hair, the shirt, the the shorts, the jean shorts. Um, there was a lot, I think, tonally of that time that the the show got. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think my interest in it was, um, I wasn't uninterested in it. I think when I started seeing the still, like the still shots mm-hmm. of Lily James, I the likeness was so strong mm-hmm. that I wasn't expecting that. And that's what sort of got me interested. And then I would like see clips and I would hear like the the vocal, just what she was doing vocally. Mm-hmm. And that interested me. So I kind of, I started watching it for her because yeah. I thought like, what is she? I was just interested in like her capabilities as an actor to bring Pamela Anderson, who is like, how, how is someone going to be or impersonate Pamela Anderson? Um, and not come off cartoonish and not come off like semi disrespectful, mm-hmm. uh, but like just as her. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought she did a really good job. Yeah. 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 I, um, I really liked how it felt, felt like the nineties. That was something I liked about it. My experience in the nineties is different than yours. I was born in 91. So like, mm-hmm. um, I I didn't grow up with like social media, but I grew up with the internet. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. a surprise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was like funny watching those parts of it. But I just loved loved all like just Pam and Tommy as characters. It was just like so fun watching them together, and mm-hmm. you know, it was. Yeah, and it was, like, so funny. It was, like, when they were at the bar and she's, like, I'm going to date an accountant. I'm done with bad boys and, like, all these, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just, like, fun. Like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a lot of fun elements in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was was good. And I I had a friend who was, like, I can't watch stuff like this. Like, for some people, it's, like, too, like, dark. Um, Really? mm Mm-hmm. But I'm, like, I'm great at compartmentalizing. And also for mm-hmm. me, her, her character was so empowered and like the show was like aware of the uncomfortableness of it and like, mm-hmm. you know, and that it was like a violation of Pam's privacy and, you know, mm-hmm. it would be like weird if it was like the show didn't get that. But since the mm-hmm. show got that, then it's like, to me, it's like, was like cool to watch, you know, mm-hmm. it's like an empowering story. I, I also just think it melded genres and so in, in like a, uh... I thought it succeeded in doing that, but Mm -hmm. it was like, it was drama, black comedy and satire, uh, sort of all in one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it ultimately, I do consider the show, it it is a drama. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was like kind of wild how just sort of all over it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like things that are mixed like that, mm-hmm. that are, you, you can't really put it in one genre. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of it, I was noticing the first two episodes felt like such like overacting, like they were just so like, la- like their characters were so like, not like people in real life. It felt like, you mm-hmm. know? 
in a lot of ways, they probably aren't like a lot of people yeah. in real life. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. both, I think, I think what they do have in common, I think even though Pamela Anderson, I would uh, imagine, uh, at least how it's expressed with the show, like she does have common sense. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of common sense, but I do think they both like thrived off of, um, not even adventure, like adventure, risk, mm-hmm. um, lost, like love, lust. Like mm-hmm. it, they were, um, I think they both had that in common. Adrenaline. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they both thrived off of, adrenaline mm-hmm. so right. everything everything was going to feel heightened mm-hmm. yeah well and it was and it was that sort of like push and pull like he like I think she liked I think she was like like stable in a lot of ways and grounded in a lot of ways that he wasn't and she liked you know going out of her comfort mm-hmm. zone and like them like going on a trip randomly you know when she's like mm-hmm. packing to move and he's like let's go to like let's go away and she's like oh you know like and then it's like fun mm-hmm. again and like someone mm-hmm. who's like let more go with the flow you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and spontaneous yeah and it was like she was like so much of parts of her life were like trying to follow certain rules or she was and she had like this career she was growing and there was like responsibility there and then she had like a space that was like fun and like ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah i agree mm-hmm. yeah sweet yeah it's <laughs> <was> good <laughs> yeah well, well thank you for thinking of me to yeah. talk about pam and tommy i i like i i personally i sort of love that you pivoted uh <laughs> and went to pam and tommy and made a whole episode yeah. I, I told a few people about it oh really um yeah no i i like I love talking about that. Yeah, I was, well, it's like, I don't know if you listened to the Dave Chappelle episode, but we did an episode about Dave Chappelle's special. Um, But there's been so many ways where when I first was starting, like, queer work, I felt like I had to sort of present a certain, like, persona or, like, only Mm -hmm. talk about certain things or whatever. And, like, now I'm trying to lean into more, like, my own point of view and the things that interest mm-hmm. me and, like, who cares if it follows, I don't know, whatever. Also, the, the conversation can go to so many places, right. even even no matter what the topic is. Right. So, um, yeah, it can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, is there any last thing you want to say? Not really. Just thank you for having <laughs> me. And it was a pleasure to talk about this. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was, yeah, it was great talking to you. Definitely uh, Mm -hmm. when it's time for book number two, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. And let's talk. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. We'll talk soon. That sounds good. Have a good rest of your day. Okay. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Queer Discourse with Lou Barrett. I want to thank Jason Hoff for being on the show today. You can find Jason on Instagram at Hoffwit, that's H-A-A-F-W-I-T. I also want to thank Cole Pizzoli for sound editing. I want to thank Samantha Grace for doing the theme song for the show. I want to thank myself for being here. I want to thank Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee 
for living, existing. Without them, the Pam and Tommy show would not have been created. We wouldn't have had a show today. I want to thank Robert Siegel, the show's creator. I want to thank Lily James, who played Pamela Anderson. Sebastian Stan, who played Tommy Lee. And Seth Rogen, why not, who played Rand. <laughs> if you have any comments or feedback you'd like to give, well... I would say maybe do that in the comments on Apple Podcasts. You could also do that by emailing queerdiscourse at gmail.com. You may already know this, but there is a form on my Instagram. My Instagram is at Lou the Barrett, and the form is in my link tree, and there you can give your information if you want to be on the show. As I said in the intro, there was some reflecting and some things I want to share, so I'm going to do that now. Something that I've been thinking about for a few months is, you know, just this sort of fixation on queer online culture and the things about it that make me uncomfortable, or just uncomfortable is maybe not the word I want to use, but just things that I don't really jive with that don't feel representative of my experience and just don't feel like things I align with or I'm into. (laughs) Um, And I was talking about it with some friends last night uh, and I was getting a lot of um, positive feedback, people who agree with me. Other friends of mine tend to agree the more I talk to people about it. You know, there are many people who don't like the, um, you know, dogmatic online culture that is very like there is one right way to think about X, one right way to think about Y. And I kept feeling like this sort of like obsession with that. I mean, it's something that I've felt an obsession with for a while and it's like not the best mentally. And I was thinking about it more and more and I feel like... If I wasn't on Instagram, it's probably not even something I would think about that often because I wouldn't really see it often. And maybe I would still think about it sometimes, but it wouldn't feel as like big as it feels um, because I'm seeing it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that this sort of culture of Um, LGBTQ plus people online that feel really um, vigilant about spreading really narrow ideas about um, what's okay and not okay and who like to enforce rules on other people, you know, um, they're likely the minority of the LGBTQ plus community, not the majority, but they are um, the most visible of the community. Um. But I just, you know, listening to the last few episodes of the show, I noticed that this is something that's like clearly on my mind, um, as well as like almost, I think maybe a feeling, a need to overcompensate my own sort of stake in this community. And I think part of that is because I'm dating men (laughs) Uh, for the first time in eight years. And so there's a little bit of feeling like... um, I don't know, just like asserting my queer identity just a little harder than I normally do. So what is my point 
Well, my point is just that I've been thinking about this and, you know, I think that when when I obsess over something and when something feels really big for me, it's all I see and it's all I talk about and it's all I think about. And I noticed in this conversation with Jason, as well as, like I said, conversations I've had with friends that I think you know, I'm, well, first of all, I'm not alone there. But second of all, there are many people in my life and people I come into contact with who um, are not so obsessed, you know, because they like, (laughs) because it's just, um, you, it's one of those things where you go, yeah, that's happening. There's people doing that. But you know, that's not what I'm doing, not what my friends are doing. And so like, I'm not going to worry about it. It's just part of the internet, just part of the internet. You know, there's more of like a casual casualness about it. And I would like to adopt that. And I also, something that's been huge for me in relationships and particularly in romantic relationships is as soon as I stopped assuming things were not going to work out or assuming that I was going to attract a certain kind of mate, I stopped, you know, but when the, the, when the thoughts were, I always attract X or my relationships are always like X, then my relationships kind of continue to be like that. And I continue to attract people like that. And it's not always this simple, but I think it's important. And some of you know, if you're on my Instagram, you know that I recently started identifying as a woman again after identifying as non-binary for a few years. And so I'm making big shifts in the way I think about things and the way I show up um, to my own work. And so I guess I'm saying that I'm I'm learning here to let go of certain concerns. And yes, there are thought processes and There are ways people go about doing things that are, feel like the more visible version and feel like what people associate with LGBTQ identities that I'm not into, but also like, it's just what I'm seeing. Basically what I'm saying is that I'm learning to let go and, you know, shift out of this sort of fixation on queer online culture that's really into cancellation and these things that I don't resonate with and and I think contradict a lot of the you know core sort of meanings behind queerness and also like something really popular right now politically which is abolition and cancellation doesn't you know uh the two two don't make sense together anyway (laughs) So if you're still here, thank you for listening to my little ramble about what I'm feeling and looking forward. I, I look forward to um, being a little less uh, paranoid and being a little less um, sort of fixated on this and starting to let this story go. And I hope if you have some stories that you're clinging on to for dear life, you start to let them go too. And that's it. Uh, I hope you have a great day, and I'll see you on the next show. Thanks. Bye.
it out now. Let's talk it out now, baby. Let's talk it out now. Let's talk it out now.